What a wonderful time of worship. Um, sorry I didn't have, I don't have uh, a text for you. We'll, we'll find it now because I, I just heard now that, that I'm preaching now. So, so um, I'm going to give you the scripture shortly. Let's, let's just go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. So I'll start there, and then we're going to see where this is going to pan out. But I believe that God wants to speak to us as His children, not to settle for the same old, same old. Not to settle in a rut. And I feel what He's putting in my heart is that we've heard it earlier, that Christ is the reason for the season that we're in. And I think, I think what I'm feeling is that it's a season where Christians often compromise on the code of conduct of how a believer should celebrate the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at what is it that, that, that is expected of us and what adjustments do we need to make and, and what should we guard against in this season where we celebrate the very life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, it says this. And, and it's Paul speaking to, to Timothy. He says, but as for you, O man of God, and, and that's not gender related. It is man or woman of God. Okay, you included, ladies, you included. But as for you, O man of God, the, um, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you, were made, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And there's four things in there that we can unlock a bit to tonight, and, and, and maybe if we have time, we will. Um, four instructions. Flee. Flee from sin. Um, it's very seldom that you end up in the Kruger National Park, and you find a lion, and you walk up to it, and you pat it on the head, and say, hey, kitty, kitty. <laughs> it doesn't often happen. And it's the same thing. We should be as scared of sin as going to a lion and patting it on its head. And often we, in, in, in this time that we're in, in this time of here, we might find that we flirt with sin. And we venture into areas because we think we can handle it. I've seen many people who thought that they can, they can handle it. And they couldn't. And I think God wants to, to warn us as a church, as His children, don't compromise on the conduct that He's called you, the way of living that He's called you to. So number one, he says, flee. We'll get into that now. He says, but if you flee, if you flee from sin, then pursue righteousness. It's not just a matter of running away from sin, but it's a matter of running towards God, seeking the things of God. It says here, fight the good fight of faith. So you've got to flee. You've got to, uh, um, you've got to follow. Pursue is follow. And then you also have to fight. And then he says, take hold 
of the eternal life. Now, eternal life is not just a, t- a period of time. Eternal life is a person, Jesus Christ. He is eternal life. And you need to take hold of Him. That's the answer. That's the secret of surviving in a time like this, in the kind of things that the enemy is going to throw at us. And um, the secret is taking hold of Jesus. Now, often people say uh, that, that the devil has upped his ante and, he, and he's, he's, he's more active. I just think more Christians are prepared to work alongside him. And that's what God is walk, warning us against today. So he's saying that in, 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 in verse um, 12, he says, Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses. So what he's asking you, what he's asking me, is to consider the day that we became born again. Consider the day that we made the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and it is now my Lord and Savior. And it is that thing that we should not compromise on. We should not compromise on the confession that we've made that Jesus Christ is now my Lord and Savior. I was so shocked uh, a little while ago, spoke to a church leader, um, not in this group here. Uh, and he said to me, he's been leading, leading a church for years, but he's double timing, and um, so he's in the marketplace as well. And he said to me that after six years or so, his fellow workers doesn't know that he leads a church. And unfortunately, that happens often. Where the people in our workplace, when, when it comes to partying, we're partying as hard as them. And may I say, when it comes to drinking, we drink as much as them. Now, I know, I'm, I mean, my testimony might, might confuse you a bit, but when I got saved, I came off a hectic stint of drinking. I came off the bottle. It was a milk bottle. I was seven when I got saved. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure I will be forgiven for that. But we tend to, to out-party the unbeliever. And God is saying to us, in the season that we're going into, let's celebrate Jesus in a way that exalts Him. Let's celebrate Jesus in a way that makes His name great. Let's celebrate Jesus in a way that people are drawn to Him, that they want to seek Him. And here's, here's an example of how Paul sees this Jesus that we have made a, a commitment to. Remember that word, good confession. Verse 13 says, and when, when, when Paul now makes this this charge, or when he demands this from us, when he asks this of us, he uses the big hammer. I don't know who, who, who are carpenters here, but you will take, when you're busy uh, re a chair, you will take small nails and a small hammer, and you will knock those nails in, little tacks that you knock in. But if you put up wooden beams and you, and you use six-inch nails, you don't take that same panel pin hammer you use a much bigger hammer. And he's, Paul is here taking all the possible clout that he can to impress on us the reason why we should not compromise on the word. And he says this, I charge you in the presence of God. But he doesn't end there. He wants to make sure that we, might, that we are not mistaken about which God he's talking about. Because it could be the God that you serve. It could be mammon. 
It could be some other idol in your heart. He says, I'm not charging you by the God that you think uh, or the God that's in charge of your life. I'm, I'm charging you by the God who gives life to all things. And he's putting an extra bit of pressure on us saying, and if you're alive and if you're a child of God, you should be listening now. Because he's talking about the very God who sent his son to save you and me. And he's talking about the very God who has given you life and not just life, but eternal life. He's taking out the biggest hammer that he can and he's hitting as hard as he can. And he says this, who gives life to all things. And he says, but not only just God, I'm also calling you in the presence of Christ Jesus. Say, um, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony, before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So he's asking us to remember the good confession we've made. And then he says, I want you to remember the good confession that Jesus Christ made, and you should be as committed to your confession as what Jesus was when he stood before Pilate. So in order for us to find that, we'll have to go to Luke. What did Jesus say in front of Pilate? We're going to the other Luke, not the one sitting that side. And we'll be going, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, there we go. Luke 23. Luke 23. Jesus is standing before Pilate. It's going to be difficult to follow this because I'm not sure where I'm going. Maybe they should just listen right now. <laughs> Jesus is standing before Pilate and he's making his good confession. And this is what Paul is referencing. He's saying here, um, Luke 23, verse um, 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man to be misleading our nation and forbidding, uh, forbidding us to give a tribute to Caesar. They, they're accusing him of treason. And saying, to him, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, and please listen now, because this is part of the good confession. It says, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And when he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He's actually asking him, are you God? Because that's, that's who the king of the Jews is, God. So are you God? Are you claiming to be God? And that's blasphemy. There the accusation is blasphemy. And he says, you've said it. And based on this accusation, it's a court of law. He's standing there accused of blasphemy, and Pilate goes, I find no fault in this man. Not guilty. When Jesus claims to be the son of the living God, he is not guilty of blasphemy because he is the son of God. And that's the good confession. He's he is confessing before man, confessing before a man who can, who can send him to the cross, who can kill him, saying to him, I am the Son of God. And that's what we are called to. Jesus didn't flinch just because he was facing death on a cross. He stood by his confession. And sometimes we, we compromise on our confession of faith for much less than facing a cross. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And we sometimes don't even get that. We sell him for far less. 
Then secondly, as part of this confession, it says here, verse 13, it says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me to this man who was misleading people, and after examining him before you for the second time, on the second count of misleading people, of treason, I find no fault in this man. Jesus stands on trial for his life, and he can be accused of treason, but he will never be found guilty of treason. And sometimes the world will accuse us. They will accuse us. Often there are two areas that they will accuse us in. They will accuse us of perfectionism because we claim that Jesus has washed our sins away and that we are now free. You, they can accuse us of perfectionism, but we're never guilty of it. The world will accuse you of many things. And the other thing that they might accuse you of, and that's fine because you, if you live your life like that, like when you understand grace, they will accuse you of antinomianism, anti-law, but we're not guilty of it. Because we don't use grace as a license to sin. And that's the problem in the time that we're living in. There's an understanding of grace that's unbiblical. Where we use it as a license to sin. But, but Paul is calling Timothy and says, please, please, please. Stand by your good confession. No matter what the world throws at you in the season. Stand with your testimony intact. It says further, the third time, it says, um, verse 20, 20, and Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept on shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he said, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt, deserving death. Jesus' confession was tested in the highest court of law then. And he was accused of treason, of blasphemy, and of being an evil man. But he did not compromise once. He stood by his confession, I am the Son of God. And when we as born-again believers, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we become co-heirs with Him. We are sons of God, and we need to stand by that testimony. I am a child of God, and therefore I will not compromise on my code of conduct. I know it's challenging, but we are called to something much higher and better than what this world can ever offer us. And we as children of God need to stand by that. And that's the good confession that Paul is pointing here when he says that Jesus made a good confession and therefore I'm asking you to stand by your good confession. And then goes further and says, what does it mean for you and I as a believer to stand by our good confession? What does that mean? What does it look like? It says here, yeah, verse 14 of 1 Timothy 6, we're back there. It says, to keep the commandment unstained, to flee from sin. He's saying it again, keep the commandment unstained. It says, free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are reminded, we are reminded in, in Revelation that they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And in that, can you call it a formula for a lack of a better word? But in that equation, the blood of the Lamb is the constant. It's the word of our testimony that varies. And he's asking us, Paul is asking us here not to vary the word of our testimony. Not to change your testimony of, uh, about what God has called you to and who you are in Christ. And unfortunately, the world has got this ability to sneak up on us. And before we know it, we've compromised on what God has called us to. We've compromised on our code of conduct. And I don't know how much clearer can we make it. Paul is asking you, as I think the modern, tra trans modern day translation, if I had to kind of do the message thing on what Paul is asking you, um, where I grew up in my culture, uh, south of here, um, we would have asked, I'm pleading with you with tears in my navy blue eyes. I'm asking you with everything I've got, please do not compromise on your good confession. And you can sit here and you can say, I won't. But unless you do what, the, what, what Paul gives us an indication of early on, he says, flee from sin, but pursue righteousness. We can't just flee from sin. You have to pursue righteousness. You have to fight the fight. You mustn't pretend the pretend. You're called to fight the fight. And be furnished. Hold on to Jesus. He's giving us the answer here. Why? He says, And be free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He was blessed and the only sovereign. If you don't mind, is it up there? You haven't got that. Can we try and get that one? Um, 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. I've got it? There we go. I'm going to read that slowly because, I mean, you know what, that's one of the greatest verses. It's one of the greatest verses, and I can't just rush over that. I want you to let this sink in tonight. Why, are we Why is Paul calling us not to compromise? Because of this. Because we're not serving a dead God. We're not serving one made with human hands. We're not serving a carved image. We're serving this God. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. That's verse 15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. If that doesn't move you, then when we do the altar call for salvation, you need to be in front because you're not saved. You cannot be born again. And that verse doesn't touch you. Because he is, he is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord alone, uh, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. That's the God we serve. He alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. We're talking about a holy God, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And hopefully God's people will say amen with me. 
It's for that reason. It's for verse 15 that he is asking us not to compromise. Because the God we serve is very, very big. He's very big. And there's nothing in this world that can compare with him. And there's nothing in this world that should be able to draw me away from him. Now, I'm, I know I'm going to make an illustration that might sound bad, but please bear me out. If I had to borrow Fred's Bucky, that white Toyota 4x4, uh, was it 2.4, whatever, and I, I, I pull it up front here, and... I go and I find somebody with an with a 1100, tell me what, what kind of car? Atos, Atos, they, they, is it the five speed or four speed? Doesn't matter, we're going to use the first gear anyway. <laughs> but I tie them back to back with a cable. And I ask Fred to rev his bucky. And I ask Tanya to rev her uh, Atos. And the Atos wins. As they start pulling, you just see smoke with this Toyota bucket. You just see this thing spinning. And this Atos is pulling it meters that way. You would have thought it's rigged, eh? But that's what it looks like when the world pulls us away from Jesus. It should never be. It should, it's a miracle. <laughs> it should never be. The world, there's nothing strong enough. To pull you away from Jesus, the reality is you choose to go. And tonight we're asking you not to choose to compromise and celebrate so much that you actually miss out on the Christ of Christmas. I want to focus on this one thing quickly before I get into the message. <laughs> it says here, verse 14, verse 14, can we have verse 14? Right. And this might, might challenge you a bit tonight. It says, to keep the commandment unstained, we've said that. Your testimony, your testimony must be pure. Free from reproach. So nobody should make an accusation that sticks. Although they made accusations, they accused Jesus of treason, they accused him of blasphemy, they accused him of evil doing, but he was not guilty of it. So nobody should bring an a, 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 a accusation against us that we're guilty of. We should guard against that. But then he says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the... The depth of that statement, the implication of that statement goes beyond what I think we, that we often consider. We would think that marriage, when we, when we uh, for some of you might not know what I'm talking about, but believe me, uh, some were married 22 years, some are married 20, 34, and some are married 30, 36, 50 Okay, right. We uh, we're gonna we're gonna get a ticket. <laughs> yeah, oh, I like. <laughs> Here's the thing: when we did our vows, if I can remember, remember correctly, I said, "Let me start with what Isaiah said." When they said, "Do you take this man to be your husband?" She said, "Yes, please." I said, "I do." 
But I made a commitment when I stood in front of the people, my family and, the, and that pastor who married us, and I said, until death, us do part. And that seemed to me like the ultimate commitment that you can make. But in verse 14, there's a greater commitment that we need to make. Not until death has depart, until Jesus appears. That's beyond the death for some. Not everybody will be alive until Jesus comes. You see, because the reason why he puts that in there is that we often teach a watered-down gospel that just brings us to the cross. But it's not the, the cross is significant. But the cross wasn't the ultimate. The open grave was beyond the cross. And that makes our faith real. That Jesus Christ didn't just die. He wasn't just buried, but he rose again. And he's alive. And because he's alive, he's coming back to fetch his bride. And I need to live well until then. Resurrection makes a difference. That's what gives us the hope. Not just the cross, not just being born again, but knowing that there will be a day, even if I lay down my life here, that's what Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You know why it's gain? Because when I die, I start living. Because death is not the end for the believer. It's the beginning of living for him. There's a resurrected body awaiting me, and for me, that's a good idea. It doesn't walk like me. Got a bit more freedom of movement. And he says, he says, we've got to keep our testimony pure until Jesus appears. You know what he's saying? That we as believers need to learn to die well. We as believers should not fear death. We shouldn't live under this, oh, but what if I die? If I die, I'm in, I'm in the presence of God. And we say that, but if we get tested in it, we shake sometimes. We compromise. So I'm here to say from what I'm reading in the Word tonight is some of us might not only be tested with a glass of alcohol or might not be tested to sleep in a stranger's bed. We might even get tested by facing death. And we need to keep our testimony intact until Jesus comes. Just because you're facing death doesn't mean you change what you believe. Just because you're facing death, it doesn't mean you start questioning where is God. He is the only sovereign. He's the only one who is immortal. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And our change in circumstances doesn't give us the right to question Him. We need to keep our testimony intact until we are resurrected in glory with our Lord Jesus. Because the Bible says, when that trumpet shall sound, and we hear the voice of the archangel. When Jesus gives that shout, come to me, we shall behold him. We shall behold him face to face. On this earth, every person who saw a glimpse of God saw a part of his glory, a portion, the, high, the back parts of his glory. But there's a day coming that we shall behold him in all of his glory. And the three people that said amen is going with me. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> We're going to be four up there from PM. <laughs> we shall behold him in all of his glory. And Paul is saying, because that's on the line. That's what we are called to. 
Don't give up your testimony for a cigarette or a glass of wine or a couple of minutes of fun with a stranger. Guys, oh, they sat in front. They want me to talk to them. They came to sit right in front. God, even if he has to mention you individually, I might have a prophetic word for one of you guys about, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. Because <laughs> I, I felt so one of you needs to be celibate for the rest of your life. Uh, I'm just <laughs> now I've got the attention. But guys, guys, God is saying to young men up here and young girls, it's not worth compromising in your code of conduct because what the world's got to give to you doesn't compare with what God has for you. And you've got to make that decision here tonight. Don't wait until you test it. Make that decision tonight that you will keep your testimony intact, that you will keep the good uh, promises that you made to God, that you will keep it intact until Jesus comes. The reason why we often why we often battle with the temptations that the enemy throws at us is because we don't think enough on the bigness of God. We don't think enough on the goodness of God. I want to ask you tonight, consider what God has called you to. This is not just a message for the young people. Do you know that older people get tempted as well? Do you know that older people have to face the same, the same temptations as younger people? And there are many older people that get it wrong. And there are many people in this room tonight and you're sitting with the regrets of past Christmases that went wrong. The grace of God. Oh, the grace of God is available tonight to deal with that. You don't have to leave this place thinking, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman. You don't have to leave this place. You might be sitting here and thinking, but I don't even know if, I'm, if I die, if I will see Jesus. I'm not sure of that part. I'm not, I haven't even made a good confession. Well, then, then you, the person Uncle Tom spoke about earlier, when the Holy Spirit nudges you, you need to make a response and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, there are times that they, they do a long altar call, but we're not going to do that because the Holy Spirit is already working in your heart. And if you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask it once. If you're sitting there and you've been uncomfortable this whole meeting because you're not even sure if you've made this good confession, but you want to make it tonight, you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, just put up your hand and we're going to lead you in a prayer. Is anybody here tonight? We don't want you to find out one day when you see Jesus, and you will, but as a judge, that you haven't made the good confession. I'm not talking about a confession that you've made when you wrote your name in a, in a, in a, register, a register book of, of, a, of a church or organization. I'm talking about the fact that is your name written down in glory? Is your name written down in the book of life? Oh, no. I've seen him. I've seen him. I want you to think about that tonight.
You see, you can, you can miss a train. You can miss a plane. You can miss a taxi. But don't miss the coming of Christ. Don't miss the moment when Jesus is going to call upon you to give account for your life. There's a few things you need to consider tonight. One, have you made the good confession? And if you haven't, then as we end, our elders will be up here and you very gladly can come to us and have a conversation with us. But secondly, are you in a frame of mind where you've settled in your heart that no matter what comes, what the enemy throws at you in this season, you will flee from sin? You see, Joseph is a good example. Joseph, Bible says, when, when part of his wife put her hand out to him, he ran. He fled. But he fled too late. Because she got him by his cloak and she got his cloak. And because she had his cloak, he was put in prison. He wasn't put in prison because he sinned with her. He wasn't put in prison because he sinned. He was put in prison because he was just too close to sin. He just got too close to sin. And the devil had evidence in his hand that he was close to sin. And he paid the price for that. In this season ahead, I want to ask you, don't get close enough to the enemy that he can have evidence in his hand that you've been close to sin. Flee. Follow after righteousness. In this season, I'm not going to preach on that now. It's a whole different sermon. But when Elisha met Elijah and he heard that God was going to take him away, he followed Elijah everywhere. He followed him to Bethel, the place of worship. He followed him to Jericho, the place of the scarlet line. He followed him to, to the Jordan, the place of the crossing over. His saving grace was that he followed somebody that knew where to lead him. In this season when, you, when you're wobbling, in this season where you find that you might be alone and when you're alone you start doing stuff that you, you don't want to do or, or that makes you uncomfortable, there's more than enough of us remaining that's not going away on holiday. Find yourselves amongst men and women that will lead you to Bethel, the place of worship. That will lead you to Jericho, the place of freedom, the scarlet line that was set down there so, so Rahab and her family were saved. The place of the scarlet line represents the cross of Jesus Christ. Find you amongst people that will take you to the cross over and over and over. And in this season, find you with men and women that, will, that you can cross the, your Jordan alongside with. In other words, men and women that can take you into your destiny and not destroy your testimony. Amen. Mark's can ask you.